Deuteronomy 11, Moses concludes his preface to the repetition of God's law. And in chapters 12 and following, as we'll see God willing next week, he handles the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. Hear now the reading of the word of Almighty God from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. Therefore, thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments alway. And know ye this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known and which have not seen the chastisements of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his stretched out arm and his miracles and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt unto Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and unto all his land, and what he did unto the army of Egypt, unto their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord hath destroyed them unto this day, and what he did unto you in the wilderness until ye came into this place, and what he did unto Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their households and their tents and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen all the great acts of the Lord, which he did. Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments, which I command you this day, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land whither ye go to possess it, and that ye may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed, a land that floweth with milk and honey. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt from whence ye came out, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest it with thy foot, as a garden of herbs. But the land whither ye go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, and lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, 
and shalt, thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to cleave unto him, then will the Lord drive out all these nations from before you and ye shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall your coast be. There shall no man be able to stand before you, for the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon, as he hath said unto you. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee in unto the land, whither thou goest to possess it, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side Jordan? By the way where the sun goeth down, in the land of the Canaanites, which dwell in the Champagne, over against Gilgal, beside the plains of Moreh. For ye shall pass over Jordan to go in, to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you. And ye shall possess it and dwell therein, and ye shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May the Lord bless us in the reading, in the hearing of it, and now in consideration of it. Verses 1 through 7, we have a general charge to obey God in light of the great works that God did. This is the way that God persuades them. You remember these great works. Your eyes have seen them. He says in verse 1 that they are to keep his charge. Now this literally means to keeping you shall keep or carefully looking after, you shall carefully look after these commandments. It's a repetition. The same is used in verse 22. If ye shall diligently keep, the translators use there for keeping ye shall keep. Notice also, what, are, what, are, what were they to keep? What were they to be so diligent about? He says, his charge, statutes, judgments, and commandments. And we've looked at this before. The commandments often refers to the Ten Commandments, those commandments kept within the ark written with the finger of God. The judgments often refers to those political decisions that God as their king said, in this case you do this, in that case you do that. For theft, for murder, for idolatry, etc. Those are his judgments. And his statutes are more his expressed will written down in the, you might say, the laws unique to Israel. Those are his statutes, statutory law. We actually have this distinction in our day. We have the common law, which is the moral law or the Ten Commandments, that law written on the table of men's hearts, 
that you don't have to teach them. They know it instinctively, though they deny the knowledge of it, yet they still have it. Then you have the statutory laws that the legislature chooses it will be a certain way, and God, as their legislator, he chose that things would be a certain way. Don't eat this, don't touch this, go here, go there, worship in this manner, in that manner. These things were unique to them or were statutory in nature. So though not airtight categories, yet it seems to be the threefold law, the moral law, the judicial law, and the ceremonial law that God gave to Israel. And they were bound to all of them. Now notice here, though, the word therefore at the beginning of verse 1. Why does God say therefore? Well, you recall the end of chapter 10 concerned the greatness of God's power in the forgiveness of sins, in the electing of that people. They went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons, and now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. God made a promise. God fulfills his promise, and therefore you keep his commandments because you should diligently keep his commandments because of the grace of God given to you in promise and fulfilled with God's hand. In other words, the, the gospel goes before the law in the law of Moses. Some people think Moses republishes the covenant of works that God made with Adam. Do this and live. Don't do this and you die. No. God publishes the new covenant in an Old Testament form. And he explains more in the, in the New Testament where you see it unfolded before our eyes in the fullness of the truth of it. But here you have it. Grace precedes works. Justific justification precedes sanctification. Let us then, having been beloved and blessed by God, return to him in kind by carefully keeping all that he has commanded. Let us judge as he has judged his, his judgments. Let us read and understand and apply his statutes, his will for us as believers though not identical in every distinctive as with Israel's, yet much overlap. And he says that this keeping of his commandments and his statutes and his judgments is to be always, it says there at the end of verse 1. Literally, all your days, every single day, in other words, this should be what you do. And note verse 2, For I speak not with your children which have not known, or have seen, as it says in verse 7. What, now, what does he mean he's not speaking to their children? Well, he describes the various things that their eyes had seen. And there's a biblical principle that one who has been given much, God will require more of him. The servant that knew his master's will or had some great thing done to him, he will be beaten with many stripes if he does not do what he is told. In other words, when we receive privileges and blessings and light from God, God says, I hold you more responsible. Not less, but more. Just having the knowledge, having seen the works of God, that is a favor from the Lord. That is an advantage that you have. Let us then take advantage of the privileges God has given to us. Do you have a Bible at home? You have a Bible sitting in your lap? That's a privilege. Can you read a Bible? That's a privilege. Are you raised in a nation generally populated with believers? That's a privilege. Are you raised in a Christian family? That's a privilege. 
all the things that God has done for us in the gospel, all the words of Christ recorded for us or of his apostles or prophets, all the ways in which God has shown himself to us, God says, improve those. Take those and do not abuse them and squander that light I give you, but improve it by keeping God's commandments. Then in verses 3 through 6, the Lord lists the signs that he did in Egypt, the chastisements in the wilderness, the sin of Dathan and Abiram and their destruction. Then in verses 8 through 17, we have exhortations with threats and promises for disobedience or obedience. Notice verse 8. He says, Therefore shall ye keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that ye may be strong and go in and possess the land. Now here, that ye may, it always expresses the purpose of whoever's speaking. God is speaking. Here's God's purpose. Here's why you should keep his commandments. So that you may be what? Strong. So that you may possess, he says, Now, men in their ungodly state trust in their own strength. The legs of a man, they think about horses and chariots, they think about military might and guns, and they think of knives and bombs, and this will make us strong. If I go to the gym, I'll be a strong man. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what is the key to actual manly strength according to Scripture? Keeping the Lord's commandments You shall keep all the commandments. Universal obedience, he says. That's what makes you strong as a nation. Do we want to be a strong nation? Is that going to happen by passing more laws, by giving more money to Ukraine, by supporting every vice and wickedness and vile thing that God hates? Is that going to make us strong? No, it'll break down the walls of the city so that every foreigner will come in and he'll be the head and you'll be the tail, God says. But God, he says, do my will. Trust in me and then I'll take care of the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is national, uh, same thing, but not on a personal level, on a national level. If a nation seeks first the kingdom of God and is universally obedient to all that he commands, they can expect to be strong, to possess and to retain their inheritance. Notice God's promise concerning the land. When you were in Egypt, he said, you would water it with your foot. That means by foot. You'd have to go and fetch water, pull it up out of the well or out of the river. Then you run over to your fields or your harvest and you'd have to put down water yourself. God says, you won't have to do that in this land. I will water your crops for you, he says. It's a land which the Lord thy God careth for, verse 12 says. Literally, this means he seeks after it, caring for it. It's actually used of us seeking after God. We're to diligently pursue him. God diligently pursues this land. The Dutch annotations say this is spoken of God after the manner of men. For men seek and inquire after that for which they bear a special affection. Do you love something? Well, you go and look for it, don't you? You care for it. God says, I care for that land. I bear a special affection for it. I look after it. I water it myself. Verse 14, he refers to the first rain and the latter rain. Sometimes you'll hear people use these 
in prophetic utterances. Oh, the latter rain. I'm, I'm, I have a vision of the latter rain. Well, what does that mean? Well, God by it means at the beginning of your harvest or excuse me, the beginning of your planting season, you put your seeds in the ground and what do you need? You need water. You need rain. And at the end, while your fruit is coming on, in order to get that fruit to move into large phase, as opposed to tiny phase, what do you need? Latter rains. You need the later rain. So God says, I will look after the whole year long. I'll take care of the early rains and the latter rains. I will look after you throughout the whole year out of my concern and love for this land. Moreover, verse 15, he says, he will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. Eat what? The grass? No, the cattle. He's saying, I'm going to bless your cattle and make them fat and muscular through this amazing grass I give them, like the bulls of Bashan, because of the greatness of the grass there, they became large and meaty and fatty. He will bless them. In other words, he will prosper them. He will cause their national obedience to his law to be encouraged with national prosperity. God doesn't bless nations as a covenant of works. Do this and I'll bless you. No. Do we deserve the blessings that he promises to go along with obedience? No. Is our obedience perfect? No. God pardons the sinful part and he sees the sincere desire to obey and he says, I'm going to encourage that desire. I'm going to encourage that spirit of repentance and obedience. And when nations sin, does God give them exactly what they deserve? No. No, he does not. They deserve to be burning in hell forevermore. Is that what we see around us? No. So God is even in wrath, remembering his mercy. Let us lament. Let us be sad and weep for the national sins of those among whom we are. They displease God. They provoke his wrath. They invite his judgments. And we will partake in those judgments as well. The people of God will not be 100% exempted. It is possible God may set us aside from the fury of his anger if he pours it out on our nation. But we must not expect that. God may choose in his mercy to do such things. Let us then among ourselves, among the people of God, strive to obey all that God has commanded. And let us invite other believers to do likewise. And let us speak to the ungodly to warn them of the end of their way and of the danger they put all of us in, in their wickedness. Notice verse 16. Remember, God said, take heed carefully to my laws. What else does God say to take heed of? Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. This is the same Hebrew verb in verse 1, for keeping God's charge. Look carefully to my commandments. Look carefully to yourself. The philosopher said, know thyself. Philosophers can't actually know themselves. It requires the light of God's holy law so that we finally see, wow, my heart lies to me all the time. My heart tells me things that are not true. My affections lead me in such a way that I will be destroyed by the things that I think I love. So God says, do not be deceived. Take care 
of yourself. Look after your own heart, for out of your heart are the issues of your life. If you don't watch yourself, he says, you're going to be deceived. Our hearts are simple, ignorant, and naive. That's what it means to be deceived there. Someone who doesn't really know as much as they think they know. And therefore, they can be led astray. Prosperity deceives fools into trusting their own way, their own manner of worship or devotion, their own thoughts or feelings. Those are the things he mentions. Your heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? God can, can't he? He then says, I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins. And then will we listen to him? The one who knows your heart, when he tells you what the truth is, will you hear what he says or will you follow the deceitfulness of your own wicked heart? What will happen if they listen to their hearts? Listen to your heart, the song says. Go to hell, she might as well say. Destroy yourself. Listen to your heart and you will perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. This is where we are headed as a nation. God, we should ask him, please, Lord, help us not to listen to our heart. Help us, Lord, to listen to your word. Send forth the spirit of Christ to convict us of our sins, to lead us in your ways. If our national sins are not repented of and we continue to listen to our hearts, we will be destroyed. This is a good land, is it not? I thought of Virginia when I read the description of Canaan, a land of valleys and hills, a land that God waters and looks after all year long. But do we listen to God? So we can expect the same. We can expect his judgment. We can expect to perish from off the good land which the Lord has given to us and to our fathers. Verses 18 through 25, we have means to meditate on God's law, the victory and enlargement of an obedient people. He says in verse 18, Therefore, because of the threat of judgment, therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul. Your deceit. Your deceitful heart will guide you into idolatry. You'll follow your own thoughts. That's why you need to lay up my words in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Lead us not into temptation means we pray that God would enable us to use the means of grace, to receive the words of God into our hearts, to lay them up in our hearts, to remember them in our memory, to set our affections upon his words, to choose his ways, to think upon his words, to prioritize what he says is important, to structure our lives, our entire conversation around his words. Otherwise, we are self-deceived, we will be destroyed, we will be devoured by the fiery judgments of God. Notice what else. Don't just lay them up in your heart. Be a conduit of grace to others. Verse 19, you shall teach them your children. Not just personal obedience, not just national obedience, but family obedience. <clears throat> This is a summary of chapter 6. 
which we've already looked at. Verse 21, God says he will prolong their days as the days of heaven upon the earth. Do you know that the Tower of Babel was built for this reason? So that it might contain heaven on earth. Do you know this is what pagans want? This is what Satanists want? This is what the National Monument says with that little lake underneath and the obelisk pointing up and then the, the obelisk pointing down in the lake? You know what they're saying? Heaven upon earth. This is what the demons promise to men. Can they deliver it? They can't. Can God deliver it? Yes. And he says right here, here's how you get it. Listen to what I say. Don't trust in your own heart. Obey my commandments. Teach your children. And I will cause this to be your case. Diligently keep, he says in verse 22, all these commandments which I command you to do them. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways and to cleave unto him. Now these are overlapping terms. Doing God's commandments is loving God, is walking in his ways, is cleaving to him. They're all very similar. There may be some differences in each one, but they're large overlapping circles. Love God, walk in his ways, cleave to him. Well, I just want to love God and keeping commandments isn't really loving someone. No. He says they're the same thing. He lists them out as if they're just explanations, statutes, laws, judgments, mighty wonders and signs and miracles. He gives us psalms, hymns, and songs. God gives us these kinds of terms that overlap each other. There might be distinctions, yes, and we should make those distinctions. But they are joined together by God in his word. Then he promises national expansion and victory, verse 23. He promises all the way to the uttermost sea. There's the foremost sea on the east side and the, the uttermost on the west side, the Mediterranean, in other words. God would lay the fear of them and the dread of them upon the land that they would tread upon. Now, this isn't talking about dirt and rocks and minerals being afraid. This is a figure of speech. The land for those who dwell upon the land. God would make them afraid of his people. Do we desire national security? They even have government agencies, unconstitutional agencies, dedicated to national security. The National Security Administration. Do they give us national security? No. Could they even if they were godly? No. The only way is that the nation of God's people say, we will fear God, we will do His will universally and will teach our children to do likewise. Then in verses 26 through 32, we have the conclusion of this summary with blesses and curses and a preparation for what would happen at Gilgal. Notice again he says, a blessing if ye obey in verse 27. Now, one thing to keep in mind about the prophets is that they don't always prophesy in the way that we think of prophecy. Many people think of prophecy is speaking of the history before it happens. That's what people think prophesy means. It does not just mean that. It does include that, yes. The prophets of the Old Testament would foretell things to come. But most often, they would do this. 
They would foretell the moral laws of God. They would show forth the truth about God. And they would say, now if you listen and believe what God says, and if you will do what he commands, this will follow. Do you remember Jonah going to Nineveh? Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Was Nineveh overthrown in 40 days? No, they were not. Because the intention of God in that prophecy is a moral intention, not futurition of events that have yet to occur. You see that? When he says, if ye obey, he's giving you the basic moral principle. Obedience leads to blessings. Disobedience leads to cursings. This is spoken in the future tense. But God's intention is to grab them by the heart and let them see that if they continue in wickedness, they cannot expect to be blessed. You hear the promise, you hear the threat. But if you think you're going to have the promise and not be as his children, you are wrong, he says. And if he says you are cursed and he threatens you and you repent and turn to him, will he curse you? No, he won't. God is very merciful. And God is a God of justice. And he cannot be manipulated by bringing up in front of him, well, you made all these promises, but you don't actually do what he says. You say, get that promise out of my face. Don't even begin to think to yourself that you're the children of Abraham, John said. Same thing. You can't expect God to bless you while you remain unrepentant for your sins. You can't expect the gospel to apply to you if you won't keep God's commandments. And so he warns them, you'll be cursed if you do not obey. He said this would be the case later. They would go across the land into Gilgal. And there would be a place there upon Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim where they would pronounce the curses. We see this in more detail in chapters 27 through 29 of Deuteronomy. And also pronounce the blessings for obedience. God would show them the way. God would give them the inheritance. And then verse 32, the Lord sums up. After they go over the land, into the land, after they possess what God promised, ye shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments which I set before you this day. Now notice there, chapter 12, verse 1, which we'll look at next week. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do. So now chapters 12 through 27, we're going to have this massive repetition of God's law. Moral law, political law, and ceremonial law. He's going to explain it all for them, what he requires as they enter into the land of Canaan. Thus far, the reading and explanation of God's holy word.